and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie tonight is one that I have very strong feelings for. In fact, this is one of the very first movies I thought of when I put together this show. I'm talking about the 1999 movie about reality TV called Ed TV, which will forever be known as the movie that's not as good as The Truman Show. And I have such strong opinions about that, I just have been dying to talk about this. And this uh, this is exciting for me because I've been looking for a host for like two years who actually likes this movie as much as I do. And it was kind of funny. I actually found multiple people that all said, oh, yeah, everyone talks about Truman Show. I'd rather talk about Ed TV. And I'm like, yes, you're the one I want to have on my podcast because we'll delve into this in the episode. This movie came out almost at the exact same time as The Truman Show, which is a very similar storyline, similar plot, was nominated for awards, very highly regarded. And this other one, Ed TV, was not. And I personally like this one more. And so I'm very excited to finally get a chance to talk about it. And my guest for this episode, uh, she is one of my all-time favorite Staff Picks guests because we usually end up disagreeing, but we we still get along. We don't take it personally, and I've known her forever. And we both go way back in the reality TV online world. So we actually have some interesting stuff probably to delve into this movie that other people might not, our histories. But uh, yeah, she's been on twice before. She officially joins the ranks of the three-timers today. Welcome back to the show, Jessica Lees. I can't believe it's been this long, Mario. I feel like maybe EdTV was in theaters the last time we did this podcast together. <laughs> well, I do a lot of – well, I, that's the thing. I try not to bring back the same guests all the time because it keeps it interesting when it's different guests. But you are one I always wanted to come to have back just because we always make good episodes. Yeah, and, I, and to be fair, we have podcasted together since then. You were very famously a guest on our podcast about The Stand last year, and we had a great time doing that. So – I'm really happy. I'm really psyched that we get to do this again, especially we get to talk about a movie that I'm sure I have not talked about in two decades. <laughs> yeah, you and most people. I was I was shocked when I said I was doing this episode on Staff Picks and how many people said, oh, I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's amazing. Like you've heard of every single person who's been in this movie, mm-hmm. but and you've heard of the movie like it's one of those um it's one of those illusionist prestige situations where everybody saw one movie and not the other one or Armageddon Deep Impact. What's the best dichotomy here? Uh, I was got the illusionist and the prestige is a good one because I've covered both of those on staff picks. So that you've already I've already set the tone for you. Yeah. A Bug's Life and Ants. <laughs> yes. Uh, so tell people a little bit about you, uh, kind of your background, because I kind of introduced you as you're big in reality TV, you podcast, we've known each other for like two decades, kind of give people a backstory on who you are and why perhaps this is a good movie for you to talk about. Uh, well, I am a podcaster over at Rob has a podcast and post show recaps. I mostly cover the amazing race tough as nails if phil kogan does a reality show i'm basically going to be there for it and then i do a lot of scripted tv over at post show recaps right now working on walking dead and then um all things star trek so i i have a wide i I cast a wide net when it comes to television but reality tv has been kind of it was the thing that got me loving tv you know i grew up watching television grew up having favorite shows and whatnot but then the survivor comes along and 
it just becomes this, it's this whole new perspective on media. And I was just fascinated by it. And I was fascinated by the psychology behind it. And this idea of like everyone being famous for 15 minutes was really starting to kind of get a lot of play at the time. And this movie comes out and they're kind of riffing on the real world. They're riffing on a lot of things that are about to happen. And I, I just found it fascinating. I thought this is with the internet is starting to take off. Everybody's getting a bigger platform. People are more interested in the regular lives of people. It's a weird intersection of stuff. And at the time I was in college when this movie came out and I was doing a lot of writing on that in like really inexpert ways, like trying to get my head around like media studies, which really wasn't a thing at the time in the way that it is now. And it it just hit in at the right time for me to be very to have it stick in my head. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the timeline there. Uh, to sum up this movie really quickly for people who have never seen it, it's about a new TV experiment where they just film somebody for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They never turn off the cameras, and it's just a mundane portrait of some guy's life and if they can turn it into a TV show, which was very much the topic of media at the time in 1999 when this came out. And I'm glad you mentioned this is very much what was going on in the world at the time is that a lot of people think Survivor was the first reality TV show, and that's where the whole genre started. But that's not true at all, is it? No, and it's funny. They bring this up in the first five minutes of Ed TV, which I thought was hilarious. They bring up the um, the Loud family, mm-hmm. which is – was um, is that what they're called? I, I've only seen it once. It was at some old PBS show, right, where they just follow Ameri- the family? Yeah, an American family. It was on PBS and in the early 70s, and it was just like this um, – it was called that one's called the first reality series, and I think Ed TV realized that the kind of people watching it are gonna know about that, mm-hmm. and so they they made sure they they winked at you from the very first minute. It's like, yeah, we know we're not the first people to think of this, and of course they weren't even the second people to think of this because the real world at that point had been going on for almost a decade, and I think they were in like season seven or eight by this point, so the idea was not new of people just being followed around and that being fascinated. Um, But the part that the thing that I was really struck by that they didn't bring up Mario, do you remember Jenny cam? I know the name. What was that? It was, it was like the first streaming internet reality show. Basically it was this college student. um, Her name was Jennifer Ringley and she just decided in 1996, she's a college student and she just puts a camera in her apartment and she leaves it on all the time, no matter what she's doing. And people got very into this. Like she was, she was on late night talk shows. Um, she had millions of people watching her. And then eventually, it sort of, it just sort of fizzled. Um, and part of it was because she was really unfiltered, and you know, she didn't perform in like that cam girl sort of way. But she was occasionally naked on camera, and um, she couldn't take. Uh, she couldn't take like PayPal donations because she was uh, she had nudity involved. Hmm, interesting. I didn't even know they had PayPal donations back then. Yeah, PayPal was a late. It was like no, it was an early two thousands thing. Hmm. Interesting. It, it was this, it's the same concept, and I was surprised that they didn't put a nod to that in there. But I guess it was still on the air at the time. 
Well, yeah, it is funny. In the movie, they even mention certain things like, this could go on the Internet. So we're still kind of in that era when the Internet is kind of this mysterious thing. Yeah, it's possible that the people that wrote this screenplay didn't even use the Internet. <laughs> how dare you accuse boomers in the late 90s of not knowing how the Internet works? <laughs> that, that whole thing with the producers in the room, like talking about, like, what are the kids going to watch? <laughs> it, it is very OK, boomer. Yeah. But this movie in general is just a wonderful little time capsule of this era right before reality TV really took off. And this is something I've written about and talked about with Survivor all the time because so many Survivor fans are kind of ignorant of this little fa this little era right before Survivor Borneo in 2000 where reality TV really was taking off and everyone could see this was going to be a big deal. The real world had been on forever. Road rules had already been on. You had cops. I was a big fan of cops at the time. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, and then you had uh, like uh, like the Jerry Springer show, one would argue. That would have been reality TV, mm -hmm. basically. So, like, reality TV was a big, booming thing in the late 90s. And so there's these two scripts that came out at the same time. The Truman Show, the, the one that everyone loves, the darling of the Oscars, the Jim Carrey showcase. And then this little redheaded stepchild, other one, Ed TV. And, again, I don't know how much we're going to talk about the two movies, but I'd say... One's a drama, one's a comedy. I think they're very different movies, and I think it's a shame they always kind of stepped on each other's toes. Yeah, they are really drastically different. They're almost polar opposites of each other. Mm -hmm. It's at least as far as like how they're talking about like public's perception of fame, and you have two very different circumstances. You have a guy that um, knowingly signs up for fame and is constantly bombarded by his status as a public figure and then you have the other one where it's just like stay in your bubble and you never need to know that anybody knows who you are and it's it's almost impossible to compare the two except that they're both about television and both about people watching a dude be a dude yeah i mean you could look at the general summation of each movie somebody's famous just for being famous and that's yeah. a very shallow way of looking at each movie but like you said jim carrey in the truman show he has no idea he's on tv he's been raised in this hermetically sealed bubble his whole life so he has no idea he's the star of a tv show matthew mcconaughey just the opposite wants to be famous just for being famous and so yeah it's just uh, although I, I have to say i love the naivete in this movie where people say I, I cannot believe what's happening to our society where people are becoming famous just for being famous. Like, I guess they weren't they could not have predicted what the 2000s were going to look, look like once we got up to the Paris Hilton and the Kardashian era. Yeah. Not to mention, like nowadays, you can it's not even about being famous. You can just call yourself an influencer. Mm -hmm. And if enough people look at your Internet stuff, people will pay you for that. <laughs> yeah. In the 90s, this was horrifying to people. And, and yeah, again, you can make the argument they weren't wrong. But well, I, that, maybe that's a whole different podcast. I don't know how much we want to get into that. <laughs> but this is such yeah. a fun little time capsule to watch this movie now. And just to remember that little naive era with the beginning of reality TV in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. And I, I love, you know, we're just going to have a round table with like Ariana Huffington and Michael Moore and Bill Maher talking about, you know, the, the beast of fame and, you know, how terrible the media is. It, that part kind of didn't age great. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, it must be the oddest experience. Like if I have young listeners, like someone born after 2000, watching this movie for the first time, like what would they think of the culture in this movie? Would they have any way to really relate to that? I can't imagine they would. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because there was a podcast just recently about the evolution of the phrase selling out. And they talked about 
the, the movie reality bites coming out and being all about like not compromising your artistic vision to get play on um to get play and get fame and money and now it's like that's selling out is not even a word that anybody knows and like the goal is to sell out yeah, I saw uh, Bill Simmons on The Ringer talk about that a couple of years ago. It's the exact same topic that back in the day, the whole thing is don't sell out, don't lose your integrity. And at a certain point, the goal became figure out how you can sell this to a brand. So like yeah. young people wouldn't really understand that concept. Yeah, it's like it's a totally it's a huge shift in the value system for sure. Yeah, definitely generational stuff, too. Like, I don't know. Yeah. If people pay attention to staff picks, I don't really have like the huge audience, but like <laughs> I have no ads on this show. I don't advertise anything. I don't even try to engage like most podcasters do. It's just I consider these just PSAs. Here's a great movie. Go watch it. And you'll maybe you'll, it'll help your life some. But like I don't really make any effort to monetize any of my projects. And it's kind of odd because I consider that more of a generational thing just because when I grew up. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not even trying to do it. Like I think most people doing the entertainment podcast circuit right now are like, how do I monetize this? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I gain followers? And I think Mario, you wouldn't care if you had like five people listening or five hundred people listening. Yeah, exactly. It's the it's it's not the exact same logic, but Mystery Science Theater, the the writers for that show used to have the the mantra, uh, we don't want everybody to get the joke. It's just important that the right people get the joke. Yeah. And so it's like it's the same type of deal. Like, yeah, I don't I have no interest in monetizing this or making money off it. In fact, I'm kind of horrified if somebody suggests that because then I like can't swear and I can't like share my <laughs> true opinions on stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't care if there's five people that really love the show. You are making me so happy. Yeah. And I think, Mario, there's probably five people that have seen this movie. <laughs> Good. <laughs> OK, so let's go into this movie a little bit with that joke. Uh, this is a wonderful little time capsule. A couple things in time are happening here when this movie gets made. One, obviously, the two dueling uh, screenplays, Truman Show and Ed TV. We'll talk about that more later. Another one, interesting, that when I watch this movie now, this is the era when they were trying to make Ellen DeGeneres into a movie star. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a movie that even fewer people saw than saw Ed TV, Mr. Wrong with Bill Pullman. Yeah, I can say that's one of my least favorite movies I have ever seen in the theater. My wife took me to that. It was like I, you know, I had a big thing for Bill Pullman at the time, and I'm like, this movie, I can't even watch this because of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mister, yeah, Ellen, it just didn't happen for her as a movie star. Luckily, she had other things that worked out for her later. But yeah, the, the it's kind of awkward. Now, do you think she's actually good in this movie or not? Um, I think she's Ellen in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think she's really acting all that much. <laughs> Yeah, for people who haven't seen it, she's the network, uh, not executive, but like the program director who puts together Ed TV. She's a pivotal character in the movie, but she's very much Ellen at all times. Yeah, it's and it's funny. There's so many people in this movie that are just kind of being themselves. <laughs> like I would argue Elizabeth Hurley is doing that. Um, Dennis Hopper is doing that. There's a lot of people that just like showed up and they're like, here's your script. Say your lines. OK. I don't care what my character wants. That's the, my character is me. Yeah, it's funny. I was just watching the DVD extras. I own. I'm one of the rare people that owns this on DVD wow. still. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth Hurley was talking about that. She was shocked when she made this movie. She's like, "Why did you get so many big name celebrities in one movie?" And that's really just what you said. They're all just playing themselves. Yeah, and it's funny. It it almost feels like one of those projects where, um, you know, somebody gets an idea. Like Ron Howard is just like. I'm going to have this I'm going to have this big party with all of my friends and also I'm just going to make a movie. So 
he, you know, he just calls up everyone he knows and is like, hey, you want to come over and shoot a couple of scenes? Yeah, that sounds cool. We'll have a beer after. <laughs> he literally does say that. That's funny. I'm glad you said that. He literally says that's how he got Rob Reiner, his old buddy Rob <laughs> Reiner in the movie. He's like, hey, Rob, want to uh, want to go back, put your acting hat back on again? And Rob Reiner's like, how long is it going to take? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not doing uh, directing another movie for a couple of months. And Ryan, uh, Ron Howard's like, five days. Show up five days. I'll show you the script. And Rob Reiner's like, Fuck that. I don't even want to look at the script. And it's, it sucks. It's your fault. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> what are the things that were happening here in, in the world of the late 90s? So Matthew McConaughey, I have to point out, he came out. That's a bad word. He debuted in uh, 1994, 5, 6, I forget, in A Time to Kill. And everyone yeah. was like, yeah, he, everyone was like, oh, this guy's going to be the next Paul Newman. He's got movie star looks. He's really dramatic. He'll be able to do all these you know, Oscar winning movies in the future. And then he didn't really do that. He started doing stuff like uh, Ed TV, which I know let a lot of people down. But I really love him in this movie. It's again, like you said, he's really just being Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's exactly the guy you want for this, too, because he's just sort of he's just chill. He's just he's approachable. He's. He's warm and friendly and he, you know, he's good looking. It, it is exactly the kind of guy that you would want for this kind of project. Yeah, I have a hard time picturing anybody else in this role. It's a good point. I and I don't think I think I had seen him in like two things up to this point um, because he is in one of my other underrated late 90s jams uh, contact mm -hmm. with Jodie Foster. Yep. With Jodie Foster. and. I think I had seen A Time to Kill at that point. And, of course, everybody has seen Dazed and Confused. I feel like he's never going to get fully away from Dazed and Confused. <laughs> yeah, because that's – I don't think he was actually acting in that movie. They just turned on the cameras and he started talking. Yeah. I mean, which makes him good for a movie like this too because that's what everybody's doing. Yeah, because he could just slide right into that Texas accent. Yeah. And, hey, Mario, did you notice this is the second time in a row that we're podcasting about a guy from East Texas? Oh, wow. Wow. So we got the stand and now this. Yeah. And it just said East Texas. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> wow. See if we can work any stand jokes into this podcast. Now, now it's a mission. I'm always game to work in stand jokes. <laughs> okay. The other thing that was happening with this movie that I find interesting is I remember this very specifically because I used to read Entertainment Weekly. I was big into movies back then. And for years after McConaughey you know, debuted, everyone's like, how come he and, and uh, Woody Harrelson are never in a movie together? Because they look exactly alike. And so this was the movie that finally broke the ice, that finally, you know, ran the four-minute mile. They finally did it. Wow, you actually cast them as brothers. And I was on the DVD extra. They were talking about that, too. What an amazing stroke of luck that was that, oh, my God, these guys are perfect together. So I always remember what a big deal that was at the time, that these two were actually in a movie together. Did they really look that much alike? I mean, I know they definitely don't now. Like, mm -hmm. they've aged in two very different directions, but I can kind of see, like, they have the same bone structure. I'm surprised that it was so remarkable that people were clamoring for them to be in a movie together. Yeah, think a little uh, younger and skinnier, uh, like Roy Munson, Woody Harrelson. He definitely looks a lot like McConaughey as Roy Munson. Yeah, okay, I can see it. But, of course, he's he does end up being a little bit beefier in this movie anyway. He does, yeah. He's <laughs> He's playing the gym rat. Yeah, right. <laughs> the beefy gym rat, yeah. Okay, and now we'll talk about one other person in this movie because, see, to me, there's one standout in this movie that always jumps out at me, and that's Jenna Elfman. Mm-hmm. And the reason I have to point that out 
is I don't think I've ever enjoyed Jenna Elfman in anything else. But I'm like stunned when I watch this movie how good she is and how much she sucks me into this character. Yeah, she's it's a very different romantic lead from I think just about any movie I've seen. It's she's a very interesting character, I think. And I like Jenna Elfman. I've not had I've not had a problem with her ever. Um, I wasn't a big Dharma and Greg person, but there's this movie. There's can't hardly wait. Um, she's she's tremendous on Fear the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. If you want to jump forward a little bit, um, but yeah, and it was it's an interesting choice to have her here. Oh, the other movie, and I'm surprised, Mario, have you done Keeping the Faith for staff picks? Because it feels like it's a very staff pixie movie. I have not, and only because I only saw it once in the late '90s, and I don't remember anything about it. So I'd have to watch it again. Yeah, I don't think it's like it feels to me like a very boilerplate kind of movie, but everyone I know that has seen it is just like it's up in their it's up in their pantheon. Hmm, interesting. And it's it's like a very cute New Yorky movie, but um she's very good in that as well. And my wife's my wife's all-time favorite actor is Edward Norton, so I I just I've understood now what we're watching next weekend for our movie night. Yep. I I mean, you're welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Je- Jenna Elfman at the time, she was in a sitcom, Dharma and Greg, where she was this uh, new agey, not, I don't know if dippy is the right word, but very free-spirited yeah. person, and that was kind of her uh, stereotype at the time, very much like Phoebe on Friends, kind of this whole archetype, and then she's in this movie, where she is so not that, and like, this movie, I swear to God, makes me tear up almost every time I watch it, because she's so vulnerable, and like, uh, I don't even know what the right word is in this movie, she just... She goes through some shit in this movie, and it's hard to watch. Yeah, she's really she's really down to earth, I think. Yeah. And she, and I think you rarely find a romantic lead in a movie like this that is that self-aware and that's not being played for, like, you know, we just need the girl. Like, your role is the girl. I thought it was interesting and made sense for the character that she is in a very blue-collar job. Mm-hmm. Like, when is the, you know, when is the girl of your dreams working for UPS? And it made sense, like, it's a job that she would be good at. And then I think as we talk about the plot of this movie, there's some really interesting and really, like, almost prophetic stuff that they that they get into about what she goes through in this movie. I'm really glad you brought this up because I, I thought this might be a controversial opinion because I have read so many reviews of this movie over the years, thought pieces and stuff. I have never once seen anybody say, you know, Jenna Elfman is really good in that and kind of steals that movie. I thought I was the only person who ever really was a big fan of her. That's why I was kind of hesitant to bring it up there because I thought you were going to say, oh, no, she sucks. But like, no. so you actually agree with me on this one. I Jenna Elfman has, has engendered a lot of goodwill with me in the last couple of years because I've I've enjoyed her so much on Fear the Walking Dead and I've kind of had like a Jenna Elfman renaissance. Um, and coming back to this, like it was kind of like visiting an old friend, really, um, like peak Jenna Elfman. This is like what they call on um, rewatchables. It's, it's her apex mountain. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if everyone would agree with us. I would put her. This is definitely her apex mountain for me, because, I, again, I don't really like the Dharma role, the other stuff she plays. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this like I was reading some review, uh, the, the production notes on the DVD and they're like, oh, we had to find the perfect, funny, lighthearted actress for this role. And I'm like, Sherry is not funny and lighthearted at all. I and mean, that's that does not match what I remember from this movie. Yeah, like everybody else around here is very funny and lighthearted. But she herself is like she's almost at sea amid all of these people that are like much bigger personalities. 
I think it's a harder thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, that, that she almost doesn't belong in this movie. She's making a different movie than everybody else is. But, like, and to me, it makes this movie better and more gripping than it really has any right to be because she's grounding it in so much reality and pathos and, like, you feel bad for her. Like, I just want to give her a hug every time I watch this movie. And that's rare, very rare for me in movies that I really 100% buy this character and I feel horrible for them. Yeah, and it's also, I think some of it, when this movie came out, it was a lot more socially acceptable to hate on whatever actress is in a movie, mm. like just find like ways to pick her apart, like and to call them like degrading names and just like decide that you don't like the woman just because you don't like you don't like who she's starring against or who she's, you know, or the role she's playing. You can just decide that you don't like the actress in a movie and Almost the way that the public on the show, on the Ed TV show itself, just decide that they hate her and they want Ed to date somebody else. And it's like this is the most interesting thing watching back for me is I don't think I had the self-awareness or the cultural awareness back in the day to really get this like the whole public turning on her and and how that must have felt for her and now it happens to every woman who has any kind of platform mm -hmm. and now at least we understand that it's not okay to do that yeah and it's doubly important in this movie because the stuff they're turning on jenna elfening and if you haven't seen the movie she's the girlfriend of ed tv of ed who's star of ed tv and the public rejects her they call her names they hate her it's a big she's like the laughing stock of the country and a lot of the stuff they make fun of and they hate is like literally things about Jenna Elfman. Yeah. Like, oh, she's too tall. She's got buck teeth. She's too washed out. Her face looks funny. Like, it's really mean stuff they're saying about the actress. Yeah, and it's grounded in nothing. Like, and there's a lot of, I think some of it, they're just like, yeah, I don't like her. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. Just don't like her. And, yeah, it, and it's... There's no basis for it. And some of it, I think I would have liked to see more out of this character, like a little bit more out of like the motivation of the character and um, what her background is, because you don't get enough of that. I feel like we just we move we plow forward into this relationship with them pretty quickly and there's not a lot of time to establish it like they do very they do a very good job with what they have, mm -hmm. like the scene in the beginning where Ray is off trying to make his tape and then just kind of abandons her and she's sitting with Ed and they're chatting and you can kind of feel the sparks between them. But I think I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. But then the point is the public doesn't see any of that. They just like, they meet her and five minutes later, they all hate her and for no good reason that they can provide. Yeah. And it's amazing how well they were able to predict how reality TV would play out because that is indeed how it works. That's exactly what reality TV is. Um, <laughs> And I or the part where Ed is going through his mail and he's like, I'll put the nude photographs over here. Oh, put that one in the psychopath pile. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the reaction to reality TV pretty much across the board. Yeah. And again, this is where we're going. We're going to we're going to get into the plot in a second here. But this is where we get into the final comparison between the Truman Show and Ed TV. That the Truman Show had all these artsy aspirations on what reality TV could be. And like that movie, it was aiming for such a high plane of existence and i don't know if it necessarily hits and i like i'll watch the truman show i think it's fun it's a little flat for me i don't think it's quite as as amazing as it thinks it is 
But it's funny because what reality turned out, what reality TV turned out to be, is way closer to Ed TV, which is why oh, I yeah. always say this is the really the important one if you want to watch a movie about reality TV. Yeah, it, it definitely is because you can't you can't put yourself out there and just live in a bubble. What's interesting to me is that the premise of Ed TV, like they're very clear, I it's not going to be edited, it's not going to be filtered, and we're just going to follow around with a camera. And the funny thing is, this was sort of already happening mm-hmm. in not in the U.S. yet. It hadn't hit yet, but of course. This is a show that's still going strong around the world. There were the Big Brother live feeds. And back then, of course, not everybody had, like, computers to watch live feeds. So they had channels in Europe. Um, The summer of 2000, I was in Germany, and they had a whole channel that was just Big Brother live feeds. Wow. People were already into this idea of we're just going to – we're going to watch the unfiltered thing, and, like, somebody could be clipping their toenails, and we'll still watch it. You know what the most amazing thing is? Because you're right. There was stuff going on, and they could, obviously you could see the writing on the wall. This was going to happen in America. We should put it into a movie. But I didn't realize until I looked this up on Wikipedia that this movie is based on an older movie from, like, 1991. Yeah, it's a French movie. And guess what? You can't find that anywhere on the Internet. Oh, damn it. I was looking for it. In fact, like, six months ago when, I, when we said we were going to do this, I, I tried to track it down, and I have not been able to find it yet. Hmm. All right. We have to, may have to turn to the dark web on this one. Yeah, or France. <laughs> Same thing. It probably You can probably go to like any like French Walmart and find it in the bargain bin in the basement. But <laughs> they, they have French Walmarts? My, my illusion of France is ruined. Over there, they call it low Walmart. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, basically, the takeaway here is Survivor was not the start of reality TV. There was a huge burgeoning industry already starting up. These two movies tried to capitalize it capitalize on it and uh, with that we will delve into the plot of what i personally think is the better of the two movies which i know is very controversial do you do you personally like this one or truman show more i like this one more truman show has i think marginally better performances i could think there are some really interesting things happening with the acting in the truman show but it's so fantastical and i think the so social commentary that they're trying to do doesn't succeed as well as this. And EdTV has in its DNA, as I think we'll talk about, it has in its DNA a lot of previous media commentary movies that if you're a real media geek like I was at the time, you see them kind of weaving in and out of this. Yeah, just the time capsuleness of this movie alone is makes it worth watching. Yeah, I was taking I was literally taking a class in American media history at the time and we kept watching all these network and a face in the crowd and I and I kept saying, Ed T V is this same movie. We need to talk about Ed T V in class. The professor was like, No, we don't. This movie's <laughs> not gonna do anything. And he was right, but still. Yeah, that that does delve into one more thing, that this is one of those movies that gets called a comedy, but it's really kind of dramatic and it makes some good points along the way. So it's one of those that it's not as light and fluffy and comedic as you think it is if you haven't seen it in a while. At its at its heart, it's a very serious movie about some really like deeply dysfunctional relationships and on top of that social commentary and then on top of that a lot of butt jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then to tie it back into the drama, we have Jenna Elfman basically having a nervous breakdown throughout the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's uh, delve into this movie. So it opens with uh, this new channel, this new phenomenon in America. It's called True TV. 
which <laughs> it's not the true TV that's on now. <laughs> oh, there is one now. I forgot that. Okay, yeah, this is <laughs> It's not court TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not court TV. There, there's no OJ trial on this one. No. <laughs> so kind of explain true TV to people. Um, true TV is like it's a channel of documentaries and it's like um, nature shows and it's not doing well in the in the airwaves. Um, Ellen DeGeneres' character says that they are losing to the gardening channel and so they need to do something to shake it up. And so what they're going to do is they're going to rebrand as TV or, you know, whoever TV and they're just going to follow one person all the time. It's a radical social experiment. Yeah, and this would have been a pretty radical, at least in American culture. For the time, yeah. Yeah, so people always have to remember that when you're watching this movie. This was a very, (laughs) you'd roll your eyes. Oh, my God, who would watch someone just because he's on TV? But (laughs) now that we're in the 21st century, we see that a little more. But, yeah, this was a big deal. And so it's a big, bold gamble because the president of the network, this is uh, Rob Reiner, who he plays a character we never actually learn his name. He's just Mr. Whitaker, right? Yeah. (laughs) I guess his name is Mr. Whitaker. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, Mr. Whitaker runs the station. He's looking for his programming directors to do something ballsy and out of the box. And Ellen DeGeneres, who plays a woman named Cynthia, says, I got this idea. We'll just follow this guy around. No editing. Just film him. Whatever he's doing, if he's going to the bathroom, film him. If he's watching TV, film him and people will watch. And and Mr. Whitaker's not too keen on this idea at first, is he? No, he's he's not. But as soon as it starts to take off, he's right there to take the credit for it. (laughs) Yes. And they have a fun dynamic. I always forget they have a fun uh, Rob Reiner and Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so the network is not 100% behind this concept because it sounds very risky. It sounds like something that could flop in a week. But Cynthia, this is Ellen DeGeneres, realizes that, you know, if the show is bad, it might be even better than if it's good. Well, I think – and I think this is an underlying thing that – people didn't quite get this is the this is the revolutionary thing because like you said we had lots of reality tv show tv up to this point but it was really only like the talk talk show circuit where they understood that you people want the train wreck they want somebody to fail spectacularly they are waiting for people to be you know grossly mistreated and that's when survivor and big brother start to take off when people realize that yeah, it's uh we could we could sit here and talk about this for two hours, the ethics of reality TV. Yeah. And especially we've done a lot of talking about um because I just recently wrapped up a, a rewatch of The Mole season two um over on Reality Rehap Ups and we talked a lot about that era of reality TV where nobody knew where the line was yet. And so they mm-hmm. just like they just abused everybody and and got away with it and did these kind of horribly exploitative things, which kind of happens to Ed eventually. Yeah, I agree. But they started, you know, it felt like at least at the start of that survivor era, they, they tried with the best of intentions not to humiliate the people too badly. Yeah. But then by 2003, you're really getting into the weeds. Um, Even 2002, 2003, where you're getting like stuff like Joe millionaire Mm -hmm. and, um, like that's the one they always bring up, which wasn't actually that bad by some standards, <laughs> but um, and they just start like bring, putting people on television, and like the whole draw is that we're going to make them do this horribly humiliating thing, or we're gonna we're gonna set them up to fail, mm-hmm. and that's the whole, that's the whole show. I I'm too I'm I'm sad you forgot my big fat obnoxious fiance. I didn't forget. I was just trying not to bring <laughs> it up. Um, and there was. 
one called The Littlest Groom. Mm-hmm. And I, that one sticks out because I had a coworker at the time. We watched, every, we watched every bad reality show, and he came in the morning after that aired, and he said, this was the first one where I felt like I know where the line is now. <laughs> yeah, and again, let's not uh, praise the 90s too much for being you know, ethically yeah. concerned because that is no. the Jerry Springer era, let me right. remind people. So, yeah, we're dancing around the line of ethics and reality TV, which it's, it's, it always kind of depresses me we don't talk about that anymore. People just assume reality TV just is, you know, it's a thing now. But I always thought it was so interesting because that was part of the discourse at the time. Should we be doing this? Yeah, like is it going to ruin somebody's life and and then for a while you didn't the answer was no it's not like look at these people from season one of survivor they're all famous now mm-hmm. and it's great and then and then we sort of get away from that like the, you get the diminishing returns of what you can promise somebody and then pretty soon it's all you get is you get to be on tv and then it's like how much are you giving up to be on television? And now it's it's like, you don't even need to be on television. You can just like point the camera at yourself on your own phone. Mm-hmm. Although I do think the one thing that's been lost over the years, and I always feel bad this gets lost in Survivor history, is like a quarter of the first season of Survivor, the cast, all regretted being on the show afterwards because it, mm-hmm. it, it started out like a nice, fun experiment, and it turned mean and evil by the end. And they all thought, let's just get this over with. And I think that's kind of been forgotten. Yeah, because it did get very personal, too. I don't think Survivor now gets that personal. <laughs> yeah, it's, but anyway, just uh, the whole history of reality TV kind of summed up right here at the start of Ed TV, where Ellen DeGeneres says, if he's great, if this guy's interesting, great. If he's not interesting, even better. We'll go down in flames. And she's like, you have to remember, people only have to tune in twice a day for five minutes, and we're a huge hit. And that's very telling of what the TV industry probably thinks of reality TV. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good summation of it. <laughs> Okay, and with that, let's go find the guy who's going to be the star of our show. And this is where we meet Ed Picurney, the star of our movie, played by Matthew McConaughey. So kind of sum up our introduction to him, where we meet him for the first time. Uh, Well, he is, he's in a bar, he's hanging out with his friend, played by, um, hey, it's that guy, actor Adam Goldberg. (laughs) Um, They're talking about life, like, they're in their 30s, everybody else has their life figured out, they don't really know what they want. You know, they don't want to get married and have kids. They just want to, like, live their life and drink beer and wear a beer around your neck. Like, that's <laughs> I, that's the opening thing. Like, do you realize you have a beer around your neck? And then uh, Ed's brother comes in, and, you know, his brother's also kind of a slacker. And and he's he comes from this kind of – I think he comes from this sort of uh, – lower middle class background and he has a family that's kind of dysfunctional and he and Ray have it's kind of brought them together like having an absentee father like the two of them kind of they they're closer than most brothers yeah yeah Ray and Ed are very similar again played by two actors who looked very similar at the time yeah. but uh yeah so our star Ed he's a video store clerk he's 31 he he does okay with the ladies, nothing serious, but he's really just a slacker, just drifting through life. And Matthew McConaughey, I saw it in the DVD extras, saying it was a really easy role for me to play because I'm very, very good at just hanging out and having fun. Yeah, I mean, who would have guessed that about Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> yeah, so, so it's just uh, him shooting pool in the bar, and then Ray comes in. That's his brother, a little more rambunctious brother, played by Woody Harrelson. And Ray's got a girlfriend named Sherry, played by... Uh, uh, I already forgot her name, Jenna Elfman, and <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dedicate this podcast to her, I've already forgotten her name. 
<laughs> but she's just this long. Okay, I'll let you describe her. Just how would you describe Sherry to someone who has never seen her before? Um. Well, they say she's very tall, and then I immediately Googled how tall is Jenna Elfman, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just because uh, both – I think Woody Harrelson is not that tall, so she seems like she's taller than he is. And, you know, she's very cute. She's funny, but she's also – like she's just a little bit too serious for these guys that just want to hang out. And the, the kind of the first thing she says, like she she tells Ed that – you know, she just keeps getting dumped and she sees the reason why after the fact. And she doesn't really like her family. I think her family situation is similar to the the brothers Picurni. Um Yeah, and she's, you know, she's quirky and charming, but you kind of wonder what she's doing with Ray. Yeah, quirky and charming, but she's also one of my favorite words. She's kind of a dork. Yeah. She's kind of gangly. Adorkable. Adorkable. I love that word, adorkable. Sherry is the definition of adorkable. She's a little too tall. She looks like she doesn't quite, she's a little too big for her clothes. Her hair is a little too big and frilly. Like she's just, she's just, life and love is not really working out for her. She's kind of a sad sack, but you like her. She has a good heart. Yeah. She just is, is not, it's not working out for her. And Ray, the brother, this is a Woody Harrelson, just, you know, treats her like crap, just kind of ignores her in the bar, just doesn't even talk to her, goes and drinks with his buddies. And you can see this relationship isn't going to go anywhere. And poor Sherry is going to fail at love yet again. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting choices that she makes as a character is when she's in her UPS uniform mm-hmm. it looks like she's borrowed her, the clothes from somebody else like they just they're about two sizes too big for her and she just sort of hides inside of this uniform yeah <laughs> that's the best way to make your character unattractive and frumpy in a in a movie put her in a UPS uniform yeah <laughs> yes so that's sherry so we meet all the three major characters there's going to be a love triangle later but uh they're in the we're in a bar in San Francisco. I guess we forgot to mention this. This movie takes place in San Francisco, which is an odd location for a movie like this. But I think it's kind of cool. It's different. Yeah, it's a different part of San Francisco, too. I feel like they use some landmarks in San Francisco, but it's not the ones you would think of. Yeah, you didn't see Nicolas Cage driving by in his uh, Corvette at any point. Or no, that's Connery. Sorry, I got my rock drivers mixed up. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's more of a uh, residential area. It's not the tourist area of San Francisco. Right, right. Yeah, okay, so, and we're all in a bar here, and over in the corner of the bar, they're doing auditions for this new true TV reality show, and Ray, the the older brother, is all over this, because he's the rambunctious, the life of the party, this Woody Harrelson. He runs over there, he's auditioning, which leaves Ed and Sherry just to kind of sit and talk, and they just talk about life and love over at the bar, and this is the first sense we get that these two are actually closer than Ray ever will be to Sherry. Yeah, and it's almost like you wonder... Obviously, the thing that gets Ed cast on this show is his ability to tell a good story. And but you almost wonder if they see this thing kind of percolating Mm -hmm. and they think, well, maybe there will be some drama with the brother and the girlfriend. And we have the classic reality TV uh, auditioning story here where Ray wants to be on TV. He's over auditioning, plugging his bar he wants to, or his gym, plugging his gym he wants to open. He's got all these plans, telling his stories. And he's like, hey, let me pull my girlfriend in here and introduce her to her. And Sherry wants no part of this. Sherry shoves her way out of the camera. Mm-hmm. So he grabs Ed, Matthew McConaughey. Hey, look at my little brother here. And Ed comes over reluctantly because he's not really a star. And he just starts talking in that Texas drawl and... And this is the tape that eventually gets him cast, which 
if you know anything about Survivor history, some of the most famous uh, Survivor alums in history were cast this way, where their friend dragged them to an audition, and they ended up getting cast instead of their friend. <laughs> yep. I have I have heard this about I've heard this about several people. Or <laughs> it's the thing where you apply for the Amazing Race, and then you drag your your hot friend in to be your partner, and then they don't pick you for the Amazing Race, but they draft your friend for Survivor. Yes. The, the, the more you delve into reality TV, you'll, you'll see endless stories of that. It doesn't always work out the way people expect. Yeah. But the, the thing you bring up that I just realized, there's an echo of this scene later on in the movie. And I didn't catch that until just now. Which scene are you talking about, just as a quick answer? Where, where Ray tries to drag Sherry in front of the camera to say something funny, and she pulls away. And so he puts Ed in front anyway, and then later on, Ed is trying to get Sherry to talk to the camera, and she won't do it. So Ed starts turning into Ray. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Like, he starts kind of buying his own bullshit there. Okay, now I see that. Okay, we'll get into that later. That's good. That's yeah. a good observation. Okay, so the producers are watching Ray be a jackass in front of the camera, but they notice the cute brother next to him just kind of being Texas and all laid back and cool. And so they're like, that's the one we want. So the next scene is uh, Ellen DeGeneres and her staff bringing in McConaughey to meet him. You know, we learn about his family and or at least what he thinks is his backstory. And we find out that it's not all completely accurate. But, you know, he, his father left them when he was young and and it's him and his brother and sister kind of against the world. And he was raised by his stepfather, played by Martin Landau. We meet him later and he's. He's a delight in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he's a lot of fun. He he probably gets the most laughs in this movie, Martin Landau. It's like the most sympathetic character, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So so Ed is just kind of bewildered why anyone would want to pick him on TV. And in fact, it's in in fact, it's it's his averageness, his blandness is specifically why they're picking him. He's kind of funny, kind of charming. He has a great scene where he does a McConaughey thing where he says, I can drop the accent anytime I want or I can just slide right back into <laughs> it, which is yeah. one of the most charming things I think I've ever seen an actor do in a movie. Yeah, like that that guy, you know, he's going to be a star at some point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they pick this guy, Ed, they like him, and they present him to the board, and uh, Rob Reiner's like, this is the guy, this dull guy from Texas who wears a beer around his neck? <laughs> and uh, Ellen's like, uh, yeah, and she, he's like, okay, your funeral. So it's all, her whole career is riding on this show now. Yep. <laughs> and then it turns out, it like, from, like, minute one, he's, even if he's just, like, talking to the camera about nothing. <laughs> It turns out she's absolutely right about what it does. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll just get the setup into the show that uh, the Ray Ed's fam Ed's family hears about it. They're like, "Why would you want to be on TV?" And Ed's like, "Well, they they'll pay me. It's a big payment." And they're like, "Do they film you going to the bathroom or like like on a date?" Is like everyone's kind of baffled by this new concept of reality TV, which again is so charming watching now. Yeah, yeah, it is very charming. Uh, but they also don't really they don't really give they don't really give the specifics of it. Like, you know, when, when would you get to turn it off? Like, would you have to have it on in the bathroom? And they show him in the bathroom, but you can't tell if that's voluntary. And like, what do they do? What do they air when he's sleeping? Is it just him sleeping? Because Truman show used to like edit together highlight reels while he slept. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is just like the Jenny cam when he's sleeping. Yeah. It's like the Jenny cam. 
Okay, yeah. So uh, the family, we meet uh, Sally Kirkland, his mom, Martin Landau, his stepdad named Al. They will become important. Let's kind of skip over them for now because they become more important, yeah. important later. And then Ray, of course, the brother, is kind of bummed, but he does say, well, at least you can help me advertise my new gym. I'll just come on the show. I'll advertise it anytime you need help. If you're, you know, if you're too boring for TV, call on your old brother Ray. I'll come over. I'll tell a story. So it's, it looks like they have the best of intentions here at the start. Yeah, and especially like Ray points out he's going to open his gym and Ed can invest in the gym and then everybody gets kicked back. And it seems like he's really taking care of the whole family. Yeah. So, okay, Ray is basically the grown-up. Yeah, which is interesting. Like, that's your grown-up? Okay. <laughs> that's Roy Munson. I would not depend on Roy Munson as my financial breadwinner. No, for sure. That's, you know, that's Hamish from The Hunger Games. You don't <laughs> want that either. Yes. Either way, it's not going to work for you. Don't want Woody Boyd either. Yeah, or Woody from, uh, or whatever his name is, uh, Billy Hoyle from White Man Can't Jump, so. <laughs> yeah, really, I don't. I can't think of a single Woody Harrelson character I'm going to trust with with my finances. Is that the stereotype of Woody Harrelson? He's just not good with money. Do not give him money. Yeah, it's basically, you know, Brad Pitt eats in every movie and Tom Hanks pees in every movie and Woody Harrelson just like does horrible things with your money. <laughs> okay. So, so let's go to the first day of Ed TV. Now, the program again, this is a show that everyone's skeptical of. The network has no faith in it whatsoever. Cynthia, the program manager, Ellen DeGeneres, thinks it's going to flame out hard and she kind of hopes it does because it'll be more interesting and the show opens up with the most uh, exciting footage you're ever going to have on reality tv now explain ed tv day one to people ed tv day one he is asleep he's sprawled out uh, he has morning wood and then he starts checking out his own ass <laughs> Yes. The, all this is the great scene at the start of the movie. It's just him scratching himself, checking out his ass, having morning wood. It's so boring. He's not even awake yet. And it's just all these program executives going, oh, just groaning. Yeah. And then he looks in the camera and he says, hi, I'm Ed. And then it starts to take off. Yes. That's when the magic happens. Yeah, I guess. Although there's a joke that I like here where Ed is, he's cooking a Pop-Tart and he picks it up and it's too hot. And he's like, ah, and he drops it. And the uh, network exec goes, oh, look, an action sequence. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rob Reiner in this. He's really funny. Yeah. This smug, pompous network executive ass. Yeah. Okay, so now Ed heads off to day one. And again, it's just a cotillion of cameras following him around. And it was a kind of interesting. I was watching the making of this movie. They actually, I don't know if you realize this, they actually had to film this movie twice. Once with film cameras and once on video so there's like four cameras around him at all times and he had to learn which ones he could look into and which ones he couldn't it was like very tough he said that that seems like that seems like a challenge and i thought it, it is weird to me that they didn't just outfit his house with cameras a la the big brother house mm. like he wakes up and there's like three guys standing in front of him with giant equipment and maybe i'm just like you know 20 years removed from this but it seems to me like they do have an automatic camera in his in his bedroom later on, but when any time when he's awake, he's got like actual guys following him, which I thought was weird. Yeah, well, you think in the Truman Show that was all hidden cameras. Yeah, and so that's a, a drama, and I think probably for comedic purposes, they just think it's funny to have a stumbling crew of cameramen around him at all times. That's that's my interpretation. Yeah, and I mean that's fair, but it's like logistically that's kind of a nightmare. Yeah. 
But then Ed goes to work, and uh, he's just a lowly video store clerk. And this funny scene of all the cameramen walking around him, following down the street, and all these people in San Francisco waving out their windows at him because they want to be on TV. And it's just, again, the old uh, adage, everyone wants to be famous for 15 minutes. So everyone's so excited just to see themselves on the background in Ed TV. One thing I used to do to troll my friends, um, back like probably the first couple of years I lived in New York, on 6th Avenue, where the Fox News office is now, it used to be CNN. And they had this big glass window, and the anchors would be doing their thing from the desk, and then you could see the street behind you. And they had a guard out there so that you wouldn't just um, stand there and wave and distract people, but you could see anybody walking back and forth. And so I'd call my best friend in Montana, and I'd just walk back and forth and, like, have a conversation on my phone. And she'd look at she'd look at the TV, and she could see me walking back and forth <laughs> in the background. Wow. <laughs> so you were on Ed TV. Basically, it was Ed TV, but it was the news. <laughs> So the first day is just nothing interesting whatsoever. Just Ed waking up, going to work. Although there is an exciting sequence where he kicks two kids out of the video store for not knowing who Burt Reynolds is. Yeah. And this was a missed opportunity to get like a Burt Reynolds cameo somewhere. Because every other famous person in the world is in this. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything in the late 90s. I'm sure he was available. He was doing cameos is what he was doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Burton Reynolds, that's Ed's hero here. That actually comes in important later. Uh, okay, so day one of Ed TV, nothing interesting. It ends with Ed with a nice, long, slow toenail cutting session, which is how you want to end your show. Yeah. And so, although we do get this is a really interesting scene here of all these people watching the first day of Ed TV, and they all watch it for different reasons. You remember some of the highlights of that? Yeah, there's people that are, they're basically yelling at each other not to watch it. In one instance. And then you've got people that are like wanting to watch it fail. I like the uh, the husband and wife. She wants to watch. He's like, why are you watching that? She's like, Shh, I want to see what happens. And he's like, let me spare you the suspense. Nothing's going to happen. Just trust me on this. Nothing will happen on this show ever. Yeah, that's the that's the one I'm thinking of. Like they're people are either completely baffled by it or they're just sort of like they have it on ambiently because they think something's going to happen and or they're hate watching it, which I think that's true to reality TV. Oh, yeah. We predicted that nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Although we do get I did not the nice little social commentary here of the the mom leaving the baby all alone. She needs a babysitter. So she just turns on Ed TV and the baby can watch that all day. Yeah. Well, that's that's parenting. It's a parenting choice. Oh, yeah. And though we do have the, the, the sorority girls, the ones at the University of Iowa. Yep. That just watch because they think Ed is cute. Well, that's that's also a choice. Yeah. See, and that would happen. Yeah, and they well they get very they get very invested in his his love life later on. <laughs> did you catch who that lead uh, sorority girl is? I don't know if you noticed her. I did not notice her. Have you seen the Brady Bunch movie? No, I haven't seen the Brady. Oh, Bunch you've never movie. seen the Brady Bunch movie? That's Jan Brady. She's the lead sorority girl. Yeah, it's one of her other roles other than Jan Brady. You may recognize her. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of hates that guy actors. Um, did you catch that? Um, one of the one of the execs around the table with um Ellen DeGeneres is Long Duck Dong from Sixteen Candles. <laughs> I, I did. That was Long Duck Dong, and then uh, Donnie Most from Happy Days, Ron Howard's old buddy. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Long Duck Dong, you turn into a TV executive. Yeah. Well, it's it's. That's fair. Um, I mean, he had a TV career um, when he did the game show for Weird Al. <laughs> That's right, the Wheel of Fish. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a it's a career trajectory. It makes sense. You end up at True TV after Wheel of Fish. Yep. 
Okay, so day one ends on EdTV, and it's just a disaster. It's like nothing happens. It's so uninteresting. It's exactly what it would be like in real life if you just filmed some nobody. And uh, the executive, Rob Reiner, wants to cancel the show, and Ellen pleads for her job. She's like, please, just give me a week. It was one day. And so he's like, all right, a week. So we're hoping that something interesting happens on day two. And luckily for her, it does, because this is where the love triangle starts. Yeah, I mean, they really lucked out with this. Uh, if this had not happened, it would be, you know, it'd just be more toenail clipping. And this is why I say, this is why I say I think they spotted this. All right. Yeah. For people who have not seen this movie, day two is uh, day one is so boring that Woody Harrelson, the brother, comes over to spice up the broadcast for the audience. He we see him bench pressing his girlfriend, Sherry. She is none too pleased with that. And then we see uh, Ray just uh, being a huge camera hog standing in front of the camera. But off in the corner, we see Ed, Matthew McConaughey, talking to Sherry, the girlfriend. And and the camera catches that she shoots him a glance. And all of a sudden, all these sharp eyed viewers are like, hey, she likes Ed more than she likes Ed's brother. And so all of a sudden, now we have some drama on this show. Yeah, and it, it blows up pretty fast. I'm surprised, like, I had remembered this movie as being one, like, their their relationship is sort of a slow burn, and they realize they like each other much later in the movie. But, no, it's pretty, it's pretty fast. Like, day three, practically, he catches Ray cheating on Sherry, and Sherry also catches it because it's on television. Yeah, and by, I think day six, we're already in a full-blown romance between Ed and Sherry. So it, yeah. it happens. The pacing on this movie is kind of odd. I noticed it this time. I didn't realize this was a two-hour movie. It's long. Yeah. But we jump right into the action. Well, movies used to be longer. Yeah, that's a good point. But for a comedy, it's like a two-hour, ten-minute light comedy. Well, like you said, it's not really a comedy. Yes. I'm glad you brought that back. Yeah, that's the argument again. This this is really more of a drama than a comedy. Okay, so we have day two. We have these viewers noticing that Sherry kind of likes Ed, the star of our show. And again, there's nothing that people like more than like a forbidden romance. So all of a sudden, people are starting to pay attention to the show. And is day three when it actually happens? I think it's day three. Like, it's it's fast. And people... But people are like shipping them. They're fully excited about this when they get together. But then like the second it happens, they turn on her because, oh, well, they already did that. Where do they go from here? And it's, you know, every sitcom does this, you know, the will they or won't they. And then once they will, nobody cares. <laughs> they had to bring in like a six year old kid on day 50 because it was already there, already bored of Ed. Yep, exactly. Where's Raven Simone when you need it? <laughs> yes. So day three starts same as before, and this is where we start getting all the talking heads, where we'll go to like this TV show called Viewpoint, hosted by Harry Shearer, and we get all the talking heads of the day talking, what does EdTV mean? What does this say about our society? <laughs> yeah, this is this is wild. Like, let's 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 go to George Plimpton, find out what he thinks of EdTV. <laughs> what does he call it? He goes, they seem to celebrate the fact that this guy is a boob. This whole show is a joyous celebration of boobery. <laughs> boobery yeah and they like this specifically they point out they went and they picked a guy with no talent with nothing to say and they're like why would people watch us what does this say about our society and again we're trying to make an interesting point and it's kind of lost because so many tv shows were that about 10 years after this but at the time this was very much a weird thing to be watching on tv yeah but it was also it's it's a weird like outcropping of that idea of like every kid in the 80s raised to think they are special Hmm. And this is what you get. That's a good point. Mr. Incre that, that was the lesson from The Incredibles, right? If everybody's special, then nobody's special. Exactly. 
Yes. Michael Moore himself, famous critic of American culture, calls EdTV a new low point in American culture. Thanks, Michael Moore. Yeah. Although, one thing I noticed is that Harry Shearer hosts a talk show here. If I recall, there's a scene with Harry Shearer hosting a talk show in The Truman Show also. Oh, is there? Yeah, I think he's in both movies commenting on what it means to watch reality TV. Weird. That's a kind of a niche thing. Yeah. So you got Typecast, the guy who comments on reality TV in 1999. I guess so. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Here is the big turning point in this movie where Ed TV will go from a mockery to a hit. Is Ed is walking down the street, and people are starting to make fun of him now. They're like, your show sucks. And they're just heckling him, which very true to reality TV, I would imagine. Yeah. That's that's also very very remarkably prescient. <laughs> yes. But this is where Ed goes up to visit his brother Ray, and Ray is caught on camera cheating on Sherry. He's got another girl in his apartment. Because of his fame from the show, Ray scored with some lady, and it's all caught on true TV, and everyone gasps. They see Ray is actually caught cheating on camera. What does that mean for Sherry? And this is where it's all going to spiral out of control and become something that nobody really expected. Yeah, but I, I really feel like Ray brought this on himself. If your brother is famous and there's a camera crew constantly following him 24-7, like maybe give him a heads up that he shouldn't come over when you got a lady over. That's a good point. Although, how dare you accuse Ray of being in the wrong when he cheats on Sherry? I know. It's <laughs> it's really I, – I don't know why I'm taking such a strong stance against that. <laughs> That's why I have you on. I want you to take the controversial stances. Yes, I, I want to play the devil's advocate here. <laughs> yes. Although there's a funny line here where Ray's like, uh, he's cheating. This girl wanted to come sleep with him, and he said yes. And Ed's like, why? You knew I was coming over here. I'm on camera. Why did you tell this girl she could come over here? You, why didn't you say no? And Ray's like, stop. Why would I stop? He goes, that's the woman's job. We're the gas, and they are the brakes. Ew. I know. It's, just a, it's a perfect Ray line, and you see the shot of the couple, the married couple at home. The guy laughs. He's like, hee, hee, and the wife's like, just shoots him a look. I just thought that was a funny moment. Yeah, it's a very funny moment. <laughs> okay, and so Ray's like, you know, I just cheated on Sherry. Sherry's probably upset. I treat this woman like crap. I never. I just take her for granted. She's probably crying. She saw me break her heart on TV. Ed, go over and talk to her. Go calm her down. Yeah, that's going to go well. <laughs> Ray did not think this think this through all the way. No, he didn't. Unless he wanted this to happen. Maybe secretly on some level he did. And this is where we get the shot of Ed deciding, should I go over to this girl Sherry's house who I have a secret crush on? And we already see that she likes him. And Ed's like, should I go over there tonight when she's down in the dumps and maybe we can chat this out? And you see all the audience screaming, yes, go, go to Sherry. <laughs> so it's a big, huge, uh, what would be the right word here? Uh interactive moment where the audience is totally on board yep you know for 12 seconds all of america is united in favor of sherry yeah and i love this scene to be honest i know it's kind of cheesy and it's a romantic comedy but watching this scene where ed and sherry hook up i swear to god it's like a ross and rachel moment for me where they kissed i always remember the scene yeah and they really they do a lot with very little. Again, they you get the sense, like the the conversation they have, the way they play off one another. You know, you know exactly what they're about, and you do get the sense that they've both had these secret crushes on each other for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it's played very straight. This is not a funny scene. No, not at all. And but I and I just love like I feel like. Maybe everybody's secret wish is for Matthew McConaughey to kind of give him that little half smile and say, you know, I've always had a thing for you. It's so cute. I love that. 
Yeah, he's adorable. And and we even see here the the network executive, Mr. Whitaker, even Rob Reiner, has put down his food and he's watching this. He's watching Ed go over to talk to Sherry because now the show is suddenly compelling because now there's actually some romance and some real life stakes in it. Yeah, now it's really, you know, it's going to start snowballing now. And there's going to be there's going to be conflict around the fact that that around the fact that they're getting together and Ray's going to be upset about that. And I think there's an underrated piece of this, which is that they can't actually keep any secrets from each other because they just keep watching each other on TV. <laughs> and I, I find that hilarious. Like Sherry already knows that Ray's cheating on her because she was watching it on TV and Ray's going to know they got together because he's watching it. Okay, well, you said earlier there were certain things you noticed on this rewatch you might not have noticed when you were younger. I suspect one of them might be in this scene. Well, I'm curious as to what you're talking about, Mario. Okay, so it's a nice romantic moment. He goes over and talks to Sherry, and he's supposed to be consoling her, but they uh, mention their unrequited feelings of love, and they end up making out, and it's a big, huge Ross and Rachel moment. I suspect, if you watch this from a modern lens, a little more might be made out of the fact that she's drunk. Yeah, there's that, but I think that's still something that happens. I, I, I would I would say that's probably that is probably problematic in a 2021 lens, but you also still see it on TV, unfortunately. Yeah, and they specifically the roommate says uh, Sherry's been drinking. She doesn't say she's drunk. She just says she she just says she doesn't drink much. She doesn't handle it well, so she's become belligerent. So she's not like blackout drunk, but I do yeah. suspect that's one thing people may notice if they watch it now that Sherry may not be in her full mental capacity. Yeah, but they also they don't go too far, so it, it's kind of like I think he does have some respect for her. Where he's like, yeah, maybe we need to wait and talk about this later. Yeah, because it's clear they like each other. They've known this. this is not really a well-kept secret, but she doesn't like the fact that the cameras are there. She's like, America's going to see me making out with this guy that I'm dating his brother. Like, Sherry is very aware of the cameras, and this is where why I think Jenna Elfman is really the heart of this movie. She really sells this unease with people knowing her business. Yeah, and she's she's a little bit awkward the whole time. Like, she, when they when the ed tv cameras are not on her she is a little bit more in her own skin and i think that's a really well executed thing that jenna elfman is doing here yeah it's just fantastic i cannot say enough about this and that's why it always shocks me when i read these reviews and nobody ever mentions jenna elfman yeah in or, fact roger ebert yeah roger ebert's review he just said uh, he, he feels like she's not convincing which i don't even know where he gets that yeah i i don't know either and I, I think well i think part of it is she does awkward so well you might just decide that she's awkward mm -hmm. so i i think that's actually a testament to how well she plays this role yeah you don't that's the thing that's i keep saying i'm not even sure she's acting she's so good at selling this emotional breakdown but maybe that's just a testament to how good she really is at it you don't realize how good it is yeah i and i think it's also because you're so accustomed to having the woman in a story like this be sort of an accessory mm -hmm. or, you know, I've been watching a lot of James Bond movies lately for a podcast project. And, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just acclimated to women being like the, you know, the, the token love interest. And, and she's really not that she's. And when she tries to be more than a token or like tries to assert herself, I think that's why the public in this movie turns on her. Mm-hmm. 
Although she is very assertive at one point in this conversation where before she hooks up with Ed, she points out that his brother Ray is a bad lay. So yeah. on national TV, Ray has now been besmirched. Yeah. Well, he, he's going to try to do some damage control on that. <laughs> yes. But I do love where she's like, Ray is bad at sex. And you just cut to all the women in the audience cheering and screaming. <laughs> and like the, the husband of the husband and wife saying, oh, that's terrible. Oh, you can't say that about a man on TV. Yeah. And again, the, there's also like even she is behaving differently, um, knowing that she has this platform. That's true. Yeah. Like people are relating to each other differently because what of what they can what they have access to being on TV. But then she's also like, I have access to tell the entire world that this guy who hurt me is a bad lay. That's a good point. I'm going to pay more attention to that as we go along here. So, yeah, this is the big kiss where she's, you know, heartbroken. She, she, every romance she's ever had has failed. They always cheat on her. She doesn't understand why. She's just hurt and destroyed. And Ray kind of puts his arm around her and says, you know, I've always liked you. There's nothing wrong with you. She's like, really? He's like, I, you are amazing. You're beautiful. You're smart. And you see all the audience just leaning in saying, kiss her, kiss her, kiss her. <laughs> and you see Ray's mom or uh, and you see Ed's mom, don't do it. Please don't kiss your brother's girlfriend. So it's a big dramatic moment. And then we get the big Ross and Rachel kiss and everybody cheers. And it's this is the beginning of Ed TV. Yep. This is this is like sweeps week here on day three. Yeah. And it culminates in Ellen DeGeneres jumping up and down saying, I am the golden goddess of television. Yep. <laughs> so from here, it just... uh it just uh, everything goes up a couple about 10 notches where all of a sudden the show, the show is way bigger. And this is where Sherry, of course, uh, learns or where she kisses Ed and she kind of looks to the left and remembers the camera is on. And she's like, oh, shit. She gets that shock Pikachu face. What did we just do on <laughs> national TV? So there's going to be stakes for everybody involved from here on out. Yeah. And of course, then you get your montage of like uh, of Ed being famous. And in the late 90s. You didn't have a you didn't have a montage of somebody becoming famous and you didn't have like Jay Leno making a terrible joke about it in the middle. <laughs> and of course, then we have to bring Jay Leno back and have him actually be like have a segment on the show. <laughs> I like Jay's presence in here just because it, it adds some uh, legitimacy to how 1999 would have gone. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I, I and, and it reminds me, of course, of um, Matthew McConaughey's previous previous movie Contact, because there's like there's a random Jay Leno. And oh, a cameo in the middle of that, too. <laughs> wow, Jay was available quite often, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, he, he it was peak Jay Leto. It was his apex mountain. <laughs> that guy worked more than anybody ever. I always remember he did this night show five days a week, and on the sixth day, he'd go and do stand-up in Hermosa Beach just to practice. <laughs> yeah, that's it's dedication. I mean, I, you don't get you don't get a million cars by doing nothing, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so the whole montage here is now Ed and Sherry are a couple, and Sherry really does not like the cameras around. She's very private. She doesn't like the idea that she's a homewrecker, but, you know, Ed will, Ed is very noble. He always kind of hides the camera so they can kiss or tries to lock them in a room together. So Ed is doing his best, and it's going to work out for at least a little while. Yeah, it, it, but it kind of, it hits a breaking point at a certain point, and I think, Maybe part of the reason people don't like Sherry is because they're not getting that access to her. Like, they feel entitled to it. Mm -hmm. That's excellent point, yeah. <laughs> and nobody ever says that outright because they don't really know consciously why it is. They're just like, I don't like her and I don't know why. 
Now, I'm sure Jessica and I could sit here and tell you tales and stories of all the reality people, reality TV people that get yelled at because the public does not find them accessible enough. Yeah, I, I could tell you about podcasters that have the same thing. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, we won't tell personal stories, but I know just this is very realistic that if the public wants to be wants to access you as a celebrity and they're not able to, sometimes they get very mad at you. So I do believe that's oh, yeah. why a lot of people do not like Sherry right from the start. Very, very accurate in our predictions of how reality TV plays out. Yep, it's true. So we get a funny scene here where they go home. We go to Ed and Ray's house for the first time. And this is where we, the parents delve into the ethicalness of should Ed have cheated on Ray or did Ray actually dump Sherry? Yep. And it's and it's very interesting to hear the mother weigh in on all of this. <laughs> yeah. The mother may not have a leg to stand on this argument later in the movie. Yeah. Maybe it's just a family that likes to cheat. <laughs> okay. So uh, although there is the funny line you said earlier that Martin Landau gets the most of the big laughs in the movie. That Martin Landau is in a wheelchair. He's Ed's stepfather, uh, Al. And he's got emphysema, so he breathes with a little oxygen tube. And at one point, uh, Ed comes in the house. He's like, hey, Al, is uh, mom home? And I was like, yeah, I'd yell for her, but I'd die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also like the line where they're they're kind of sussing out what this experience is going to be. And, and he, says to, he says to Ed, what about sex? And Ed says, well, gee, um, it's not an age thing because I think you're a very handsome man. <laughs> Yes, it's a deleted scene somewhere with Ed and Al. Some slash fiction. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Ed is just becoming the biggest thing ever. Now, the show is no longer a flop. Now it's the biggest thing. People are watching it all over the place. I know there's a, a clip of the president watching it at some point, which I always thought was funny. Yeah, it's always, always funny to have a president cameo as well. Yeah, and then uh, Sherry, of course, sees how big Ed is getting, and their romance is... Uh, you know, just starting. And Sherry kind of says to her roommate, I'm really going to get hurt bad this time, aren't I? She kind of knows where this is going, that it's not going to go well for her. The Miss Uncomfortable on camera being the girlfriend of a reality star. And I mean, kudos to her for figuring that out pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Although we do get this is where we got to get more commentary on what it would be like for people to watch Ed TV where people in the audience, we just get shots of them predicting what's going to happen on the show now. Cause they're like, Oh, this is scripted. Like what do they think is going to happen? Yeah. They, yeah. They're saying the old guy's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh, this is scripted. First we got the romance on day three. Now you see the stepfather with emphysema. He'll be dead on day eight. They're like, this is just scripted, which is again, something that follows reality TV to this day. The, the non-believing audience. Yeah. Well, and it's hilarious that they, I, and I think they highlight that they think he's going to die because of what happens later. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple neat little plot twists in this movie. And that's, yeah. that's something Ron Howard said specifically when he got the script. He's like, I love the, the plot twist. This movie doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Which is funny because that's exactly opposite of what Roger Ebert said. He said, this movie's so predictable. Yeah, well, Roger Ebert was kind of blinded by his love for The Truman Show. <laughs> Yeah, it's that I don't think Roger Ebert was off on too many movies, but he, I think he's way off on this one. And I think it's just because of when it was written. It was written before reality TV really took over. So he's kind of talking about it like it's this unicorn nobody has ever seen before. Yeah, it's like social commentary about something that doesn't apply to him. Okay, so uh, so we got Ray and Ed have a big falling out over Sherry. Ray, for some reason, still stakes a claim to Sherry, even though he cheated on her. Yeah, well, he still doesn't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> Yes, although 
Like this is one of the funniest laughs in the movie where it's the, after their big fight, it's maybe day four or five, I forget. And Ray confronts Ed on live TV outside his video store. But Ray's not there to punch Ed out for cheating on him and stealing his girlfriend. Ray has a whole different agenda today. Yeah, he has um, he has brought a guest star. He has brought someone to vouch for his sexual prowess. <laughs> yes. Now, who? Yeah, this is uh, just uh, some girlfriend he's uh, screwing now, and she comes on and basically points out he's not a bad lay. He's he's average, and she and Ray's very excited to hear this. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I I love when he's and he just yells vindicated. <laughs> I'm an average lay. Woo! All right, so now the movie's going to kind of push into overdrive where Ed is dating Sherry, but they're kind of taking it slow because Sherry's uncomfortable. And this is where the network's going to start turning the screws on Ed, and they want him to speed up the pace a little. Yeah, because Ed, I think, is looking at this as – he's still looking at this as I'm going to do this for a set amount of time, and then I'm going to be done, and I'm going to live my life. And so he and Sherry are kind of – they're like, we'll you know, – we'll, this is something we're enduring, and of course the the network doesn't want him to endure what he's doing. They just want him to live exciting things, and so they bring in Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah, although there is one step here where I forgot I have another big laugh here where Ellen DeGeneres tells Ed, "You have to go pursue Sherry," and Sherry doesn't want to be pursued, but uh, the network will basically influence him by saying, "You know what would Burt Reynolds do?" Yes. <laughs> So Ed's going to start pursuing Sherry, but this is before we get Elizabeth Hurley. We have to have the downfall of Sherry here where the public is going to turn on her really fast. Yeah. And the guys in the restaurant, I really just wanted to punch them. Yeah, they're the worst. Oh, my God. So, okay, so Sherry is a UPS driver. She's very blue collar, just delivers packages in a terribly unformed, not uh, non-fitting yeah. uniform. And, like, people just talk shit to her. Yeah. And and it's also because she works with the public. Like if she had an office job, she could turn off the TV. And of course, this is pre-internet, so she could wouldn't have to read the message boards. But because she's delivering packages all day, she keeps running into people that have an opinion of her. Yeah, that woman at the start, she's nasty. Yeah. What does she say? She says, uh, you know, uh, that Ed's a deer, but you should you should pursue him. And Sherry's like, yeah, thank you very much. That's my business. I'm trying to stay out of it. Please, uh, I'm just trying to do my job. And she's like, oh, you're on t camera for five minutes. You think you're a bitch now. Yeah, and she's like, you should wear more makeup. Your face is all washed out. So Sherry just gets shit on by people. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it and it, it is like that's also something they predict about reality TV. Oh, you've been on TV for five minutes. You think you're so great. Yeah. And Sherry never wanted to be on reality TV, but they treat her like she wanted to. And so Sherry is over this immediately. And this is, I think, where we get the montage where, like you said, all the people just talk shit about her. And like uh, they do a poll on USA Today how much people hate Sherry. Yeah. And that, it's an awful thing. Like she's a she's a human. Like, at, at least most of the people that are actually on reality TV wanted to be there. And there's also there's the argument that people still make, like, you signed up for this. It's kind of like Sherry kind of didn't. Yeah, she never did. You feel awful for her again. This is this is a tough stretch of the movie to watch, although it's got a nice payoff later where Sherry kind of reclaims her dignity towards the end. But, yeah, it's just everybody talking how much they hate Sherry. And what do you remember specifically what those those chefs said about her? Because they were the worst. I blocked it out, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, cover your ears. I don't want to trigger you on any of these, but I, I think Ugh. I wrote down some of that where some girls say Sherry's needy. I don't like Sherry. She just whines and needs attention. And then someone says she's too tall. She's ugly and tall. And then the, there's the argument. She's, she wears no makeup. 
And then the other the three chef guys say, she's not even hot. I don't know why he dated her. She's not even hot. And people say she's creepy. So Sherry's just getting crapped on by everyone all across America. RuPaul. Yeah, RuPaul. <laughs> What's he doing here? He calls her a skanky hoe. And that's that's one thing I think didn't age well. I don't think I, I, I think they do more of this than we'd like, but I think they do a lot less of it. I, I, I think RuPaul's Drag Race kind of does it in a very ironic way, but I don't think they just go right out and call people skanky hoes anymore. Yeah, but in 99, I bet that's probably what he was doing. Yeah, I think he was doing that. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, it's, yeah, it's very harsh. Sherry is over it immediately, and you can just see in her eyes. You just see lots of shots of Jenna Elfman crying. Just her, she looks miserable, and it's so horrible. And she's such a good actress; she sells this. It's it's honestly painful for me to watch this whole segment. Yeah, I, and it was it stuck out to me because I think that was the thing I didn't notice when I first saw this movie was like how like how rooted in misogyny that whole thing is. Oh yeah. And of course, anybody who knows survivor 2001, the Australian outback would know, uh, Jerry Manthe faced a very mm -hmm. similar experience. So this is not, we're not, uh, delving too far into fiction here. This is what happened during this era. Yeah. And it's still, it took, I think it took a lot of people years to realize that what they were doing to Jerry Manthe was unfair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's rough. And that's, that's why this movie is it's so, uh, I think it's more effective than it really is, is supposed to be because this part is so this part's so painful, the Sherry stuff. And then it culminates again. And like I said, a USA Today poll, 71 percent of Americans think Sherry is not good enough for Ed. And that's the that's the one that breaks the camel's back. She basically dumps Ed and leaves. Right. She moves. Yeah. She gets a transfer to I can't even remember where. But yeah, they don't say I think it's just somewhere else. She leaves. Yeah. They, well, they say later because Ed goes to find her. Okay, so with Sherry out of the picture, he has no love interest, and this is where it's going to be very fortuitous for the network. He's going to meet a second love interest, and this is Elizabeth Hurley, who at the time would have been considered one of the most beautiful women in the world. Everyone knew who she was. She was a big celebrity supermodel, and she shows up here as a groupie that hits on Ed at The Tonight Show. And Elizabeth Hurley, I think, most famous at this moment for having dated Hugh Grant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> should we should we explain that story? Um <laughs> how much how much time have you got? All right. Well, we'll give you the short version. Give give people the short version why Elizabeth Hurley was famous. Um Elizabeth Hurley was famous because um she while they were dating, um Hugh Grant uh, decided to look for some companionship elsewhere and it became a whole thing. Um, and he was busted, like hiring a hooker and she stayed with him. And didn't she also, I feel like that was around the time that she did Austin Powers. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. She was w absolutely one of the most beautiful women in the world. And it was such an odd story that the guy dating her was cheating on her with a prostitute. Like really you cheat on Elizabeth Hurley. And then she shows up here, and she's on Austin Powers. She was a big name at the time. She was like a, a huge get in this movie. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking her up now, and I remember this iconic Versace dress that she wore that basically um, did not cover anything. And it was made of uh, gold safety pins and like a little bit of black fabric. Like, you should Google image search this. Am I allowed to do it at work? Is that an NSFW? Uh, if you're at work, don't don't do it. Okay. 
little important tip from Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite the, it's, I would say this is a very iconic nineties dress. It's like up there with the JLo green dress. Okay. So yeah, the short version is she's the, one of the biggest supermodels in the world right here. Yep. And uh, she shows up as uh, Ed is at the tonight show and Ed is, uh, been dumped by Sherry, and all of a sudden this mystery woman, this beautiful actress named Jill, comes and starts hitting on him, and uh, she asks for a ride to the airport. Could you please give me a ride to the airport? And Ed is smitten by her, and so all of a sudden we have a new love interest, and the network is going to be all over this one, because they never liked Sherry. Yeah, so the network basically hires her to go after Ed after the point where he gives her the ride to the airport, and they're like, oh, she's cute, and she's an actress. Okay, score. <laughs> And here's where we get to the quote-unquote reality of reality TV. If nothing interesting is happening, you make something happen. So we hire this girl to have a mystery meeting with Ray in the park, or with Ed in the park. And again, that's how the network can kind of influence this stuff to happen, quote-unquote, in reality. Yep. Yep. Although, we're leaving out one other character here. The dad. Oh, yeah. The dad. Uh, Dennis Hopper shows up. Yeah. So, uh, Ed... His father left him. He was told his father left the family who was young. Ed has never seen his father. And we're going to find out in a couple plot twists here, that is not quite the reality. Yeah. I mean, Ed is always told that his father cheated on his mother and then took off uh, with another woman. And it turns out that um, that actually Ed's mother was the one having the affair, and she was having the affair with Al. Mm-hmm. And then it uh, – and then – Ed's father is kind of, he's a real sad sack. He's kind of unemployed. He's living in this total shithole of an apartment and um, doesn't have a job, doesn't have any skills. And so Ed immediately uses his platform to try to get help for him. And I thought that was, again, it's a lot of like being really aware that you have this, you have this audience and trying to use the audience and knowing that nothing in your life is going to happen without the influence of this audience. Yeah. This is a nice little, yeah, scene. it's a, it's a really nice scene. And he, where he says, if anybody out here can help him out, anybody's got a job for him, um, get in touch, we'll make it happen. And I feel like it's something that he catches on to very quickly, like how to use this in, um, and I think it would take other people – I think it would take a person out in the world doing this a lot longer to figure out how to leverage that. Yeah, and that's an interesting point you bring up because people always say this movie is like a parody or a takedown of the ethics of reality TV. But like the ad figures out ways to use it for good as well. So mm-hmm. like it's not necessarily a bad thing if you use it ethically as like Ed does here. He's like, my dad needs some help. He's living in this crappy hotel. Could someone hire this guy and give him a little dignity, give him a – you know – I'll pay you. I'll pay you to give my dad a job. So it's it's a really nice little moment. I kind of forgot it's in here. Yeah, and it's and it's really sweet that like that's Ed's first impulse, even though he hasn't seen his father since he was thirteen. Mm-hmm. And I I liked how forgiving and how good-hearted Ed is, and I think that speaks to like why you'd want to put him on TV, why he's in this position in the first place. Yeah, and it does tie into the storyline that Ed's mom is perhaps not the greatest person in the world. Yeah, she's a little, um, you know, she's she likes to have a good time, I guess. <laughs> well, in her defense, again, it's very, you think, it, we're going to find out later that she cheats on Al, but uh, yep. but her defense is, you, when, you, when, you under, when she explains it, you understand why. So it's like very three-dimensional, this whole storyline. Yep, and I like, I like Al saying, well, how could she resist me? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we got the whole family dynamic kind of crumbling behind. Entire family structure is a lie. He's been lied to. 
by his mom his whole life that he thought his dad had abandoned him. Turns out his dad had been dumped and left for dead, basically. So, yeah. uh, and that's going to come back later in the movie. But now we have the Jill subplot, which is probably a good 20 minutes here in the middle of the movie where Ed needs a girlfriend and the network is more than happy to hire him. They hire this Jill lady who, the groupie who met him at the uh, airport. And all of a sudden now it's like basically an arranged marriage. They set up this dating situation and now Jill and Ed become a thing. And the audience loves it because Jill is hot and Jill plays to the cameras like they want. Yeah. And then, it, it's really funny, like, when they're in her apartment and they're making out and she just, like, looks straight into the camera. It's super creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jill is playing this game, too. This is a huge thing for her. She's going to get famous dating Ed. So, yeah, there's a big buildup. And this is the scene probably most people remember. This is when they highlighted in the trailer at the time. The big sex night where Jill and Ed are going to have sex on TV. And it's, like, this huge buildup. And it's, like, the, they say later this has bigger ratings than the Super Bowl. Yeah, and and this is just weird. It, this feels this scene feels like it's in some other movie. This is like uh, this is like I I almost want to say it's a Farrelly Brothers scene mm-hmm. in the middle of this movie where it it's like it's like the weird dark gross out thing that other movies would just hang their whole movie on. Like here's the gross scene where he falls on the cat and kills it, and oh, he doesn't actually kill it though, does he? No, he just breaks his leg. They they let the audience off nicely. Yeah, that's that's very nice. Um, but it it's really weird. Like they just sort of drop that entire plot after that, and it's like you could even take you would even take the entire Jill thing. You could delete her from the movie, like you would delete Jar Jar from the Phantom Menace, and I think the movie still succeeds. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because I was reading in the uh, interviews about this movie that at the time the director, the actors were kind of upset that the studio billed this as a slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. that the ads really focused on the Jill storyline. They really love the sex scene on the table where Ed falls off. And the actors were in the, the producers, the filmmakers were all like, that's not really the movie we made that we didn't like. That, that was what we were known for. That's exactly what you're talking about. That scene really doesn't fit the rest of this movie. Yeah. And it's also, I think they were just trying to play up. Ooh, we got Elizabeth Hurley to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. This was a big deal. Um, she was still very A-list. Yeah, but again, you do need a big spectacle scene, and I guess this works, where Jill and Ed are going to have sex one night, and and it's a big romantic night, and he comes over, and she, like, seduces him, puts a grape in his mouth, pulls it out, and then she eats the grape, and all the audience is like, ooh, I know. (laughs) That was a 90s move. We don't do that anymore. There there wasn't a pandemic back then. (laughs) Yes, that was the pre-COVID seduction. Yeah, gross. But it's like a big moment where she and Ed start going at it on the table, but it all doesn't work out and Ed falls off and lands on her cat. So it's a big slapstick moment that, like Jessica said, doesn't really belong in this movie. It's just a big laugh. But it's like the only big laugh that's like that in this movie. It doesn't fit the tone. Yeah, and they also – I think it's just because they they wrote themselves into a corner. They don't know how they're going to get out of this. Like how are you going to want to go back to – Jenna Elfman, after you've been having sex with Elizabeth Hurley, you need to have a good reason not to do that. So they just need to have him do something terrible so he can close that door once and for all. Yeah. No, that's a good point, because how do you write? Because, again, they've written Jill into the movie that she's obsessed with with Ed and she loves fame. And so in the movie, they just the sex fails. And so she runs off to Hollywood and gets an agent and basically becomes like the Menendez brothers where she's famous for some notorious moment. So that's how you write Jill out of the movie quickly. Yeah, I guess so. Um, she, there's that whole like subcategory of fame in the nineties of like people that, um, 
people that had like one thing happen to them and then they're everywhere for a while. Oh, yeah. Well, Tanya Harding got a movie out of it 20 years later, so it happens. Yeah, I, eventually her star will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so someday we'll get the Jill movie. Yeah, Jill the movie. <laughs> okay, so Ed is kind of basically, he's kind of over his show by now. The thing with Jill didn't work out. Sherry has dumped him. Uh, things aren't really going as excitingly as he thought they would. And this is where he gets the book, one of the big laughs in the movie. His brother, Ray, writes a book about him, which he wrote that book in like two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, this has not been that long. <laughs> How do you write a book that fast? Well, we all know Ray's prolific uh, you know, book writing ability. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not, we haven't seen him in a little while. I guess that's what he was doing. <laughs> he's like Stephen King. He puts out four to five books a year. Yep. Yeah, so Ray Picurney has written a book called My Brother Pissed on Me by Ray Picurney. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. And we got all the talking heads here. Like, what is, what's the future of EdTV? Where is this going to go from now? Because all the big, you know, they've already hit all the big beat moments in the story. And they just, again, all the talking heads are talking about, you know, people were once famous for being special. Now they're considered special just for being famous. It's an outrage. <laughs> Yeah, oh, you don't know what's coming. Yeah. Good luck surviving about 2003 through 9. Yeah. And good luck surviving now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then, uh, although I forget, there's one scene, other scene here that I forgot where Ray goes to plug his book on Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, and Bill Maher just says, I haven't read your book, I'll be honest, because it sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, poor Woody Harrelson just cannot win. Just can't get a break. Yeah. Okay. And here we're basically at the last third of the movie, the exit strategy, where Cynthia Ellen DeGeneres thinks the movie has peaked and she's trying to figure out how do we get this guy off the air and the network won't do it. Right. Yeah. They're like he's we're going to bleed him dry. You know, he's still got something left to give. Yeah. So Ellen is kind of having a little attack of conscience here where at the start of the movie, it was all about ratings, do anything for ratings. Whatever happens is awesome. Now she's like, let's get this guy off the air, let him keep his dignity before it flops, and the network doesn't want to do it. So she realizes she's really not cut out for this business. Yeah, like she still has a conscience. And again, it's like, it's very meta. I love it when, when Hollywood tries to make a statement about how nobody in Hollywood has a soul. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I feel like everybody's looking at Robert Altman over there. Yeah. <laughs> We do, we do get a good Rob Reiner moment here, though, where Rob Reiner, where he's lording over Ellen DeGeneres, and he's like, look, I'm the network executive. You're a program director. You mean nothing. Do you understand why my opinion my opinion means more than yours? Because I drive the big car, and you drive the little car, so shut up. <laughs> he had fun doing this. You can tell. Yeah. He gets to eat in almost every scene, too. He's almost always chowing down as he's talking. Yep. Okay, so here we go. So we're trying to figure out the exit strategy for Ed TV, and this is where we're going to officially cross the line into the place that Ed cannot go anymore, where his family is going to fall apart over a cheating scandal. So what happens? What What's the cheating scandal? The cheating scandal, we find out that um, that Ed's dad didn't cheat on Ed's mom. It was the other way around, and that she cheated with Al. And then at that point... Ed gets a call that his father has died, and he finds out, oh, he died making love to his wife. And he's like, oh, that's a nice way to go. And then, like, at that point, I was very attached to Al. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw this movie, I was just like, I was heartbroken. I'm like, oh, they didn't kill him off, even though they said they were going to in the first act. And, you know, 
you know, don't touch Martin Landau. He's he's adorable. We need to keep him. He's like the funniest guy in the movie. And then he rolls up and it's like it was shocking to me. It was legitimately shocking to me. And that's when you find out that um, that Ed's mom was getting back together with his father and banging him on the side. Yeah. And Ron Howard said when he was in reading the script, that was his favorite plot twist because you don't see that one coming. Yeah, you really don't. I, I certainly didn't. And then, of course, Ed doesn't really he doesn't go to the funeral proper because he doesn't want the cameras there. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that the I feel like even I feel like nowadays, if you had a show like this, they would have some dignity and they would like let you grieve in peace. And they really it's like, no, that's that's antithetical to everything Ed TV is. We're here with you. And so he just doesn't go to the funeral and he sits outside and has this really sweet conversation with Al. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, from here, we've just crossed the line that Ed's dad got back in the picture. The mom screwed the dad, cheated on Al, and then the dad died. And now the mom is seen as a cheating homewrecker on national TV. She's horrified and Ed is horrified and Al even leaves the mom. They separate. Yep. Yeah, so the whole family's falling apart. And even at this point, the talking heads are like, I don't want to watch the show anymore. This is just icky. Now we're just seeing a family's dirty laundry being aired. And this is where everyone just says, we got to end the show now. It's too much. Yeah, and it's funny because that's actually what happened with the Loud family mm. in the 70s. They were, they kind of fell apart in real time, too. I didn't know that. I've never actually seen that show. Yeah, I've not seen it either. Um, but I remember it was kind of like near the end of the series, the mom asks the dad to leave for a divorce. And then it's like TV guide chose this as one of the top 100 television moments. I'm reading this right now. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it was, they were very, they were kind of dysfunctional in ways that I think they, I think PBS didn't anticipate in the beginning. So, Hmm. so this movie is very much like that. Yeah, it is is definitely paying tribute to that. You you know that it was heavily like it was in, it was an influence for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Well, th- there's a couple little moments here I wrote down in my notes. Like this is like a considered a light comedy, but it's got more drama and depth than it should, or at least you'd expect it to. Where when the mom cheats on Al with the dad, you know Ray's furious with his mom. How dare you? How could you do that to Al? And she's like, Al can't have sex. This is all I have, Ray. God damn it. This is all I have, Ed. And it's like, (laughs) but it's like that line that gives it more depth than you'd expect would have it a little silly comedy. You actually kind of see why the, what, what's going on in the mom's world. Like, it's just kind of sad. Everyone's life is sad here. Yeah. And then the the scene that you said when uh, Ed is talking to Al in this, at the cemetery and he says, you know, that was my dad who died, Al, but you're really my father. You've raised me my whole life. I love you, dad. And like, they have a nice little moment. It's a really nice little scene. Yeah, and it's you see it kind of like there's a lot of things for for Ed that didn't gel until this all happened. And so he gets to sort of he gets to sort of define what his relationship is to Al. And I think that's it's it's a really lovely moment. And, and also that Al is you know, it's a very fatherly thing that he's thinking of Ed in that moment mm-hmm. and not in his own drama. Yeah, and this family has warts, and just they're, it's not the ideal family, but they do love each other, they have problems, but 
you get the sense this TV show may have torn them apart. So Ed is done at this point. He's like, I don't yeah. need my family does not need this. He goes to the TV now to the uh, TV network and he uh, talks to the executive. He's basically, that's it. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. It's tearing my family apart. I quit as of today. And this is where he finds out it's not going to be quite that easy. Yeah. And then, it, yeah, at that point they said, well, you've signed a contract. And I love this, like, you've signed a contract because I feel like this is a plot. This is a trope in a lot of these movies. It's like nobody reads the contract and then you're locked into it forever. But I feel like at this point what you do is you go to a lawyer. And he didn't really do that. And so he – but then he says, okay, well, it's just me then. I'm going to take that bullet. I just won't, like, hang out with my family. I'm just going to sit around with my thumb up my butt, which I love that line. <laughs> and he says, well, no, because then you'll be in breach. And it's like that's unenforceable because they could basically say at any time, your life is not exciting enough, and now we can sue you for breach. So it's like that's not how that works. That's not how any of that works. Um, but then – it's like, okay, I'll go live my life, but then you still have to follow only me. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, we don't. We're just going to follow everybody and we're going to put the t we're going to put the camera on whoever is the most exciting because you all signed releases. And then it's just sort of spiraling out of control at this point. And Ed realizes he's stuck in this and now he's dragged his every single person he loves is also dragged into this. Yeah, they have him at the uh, the three month. He's still a three month under contract. They don't even have to film him. They could just put a pop a camera out at his dad's house, at his stepdad's house. It's just, it's horrible. Although, what's really going to break the camel's back is the last scene with Sherry here. Yep. And because she is upset and he's trying to figure out, like, he's trying to comfort her. And he's like, okay, I will leave so that the camera's not on you and then the camera stays. Yeah. Although, first, we got to talk about the big Sherry scene right before yep. that. All right. This is a big scene. This one will honestly make me tear up. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a softy, people who know me on staff picks. No, I tear up quite easily at movie. It, I, I, <laughs> cheesy stuff in movies. I can't help it. I, I just really buy into certain storylines. Like Titanic, I was wrecked the first time I saw it. I couldn't like talk for a good 20 minutes after that movie. But, yeah. But this one, this one is really good. And it, again, it's played so straight by McConaughey and Jenna Elfman that it almost makes this movie more gripping than it really has any right to be. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so sweet together. And, and in fact, I saw the interview with Ron Howard. He was saying the same thing, that when they, they started doing this movie, he knew what it would probably look like. But when he got Jenna Elfman and Matthew McConaughey and he saw their chemistry together, he's like, people are going to fall in love with those two. I know this movie's going to work now. And that's why he was so shocked it flopped. This was a huge flop, this movie. Yeah. Well, I, I see why. I think people didn't like to be called out in this manner. Mm -hmm. And I think people that got what it was like got the kind of commentary that it is some of them like i think there's a certain type of person that appreciates that and a certain type of person that just really doesn't want to think about it and doesn't want it to be that I, i'm thinking of like there's a lot of those media satire ones like i think wag the dog was kind of the same thing <laughs> yeah i love wag the dog but i did not appreciate that one at the time i was too young yeah, I was I was as well, and it came out around the same time. I feel like I was more ready for this, but yeah, Wag the Dog was kind of a, a similar thing where it didn't do well because people just didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's a little too heavy-handed in pointing the finger right at the audience. Yep, yep, and th this I think you also get to that point with this. And I actually, you know, I'm 
I'm kind of standing Al at this point, the point where they start showing all the family members on the different monitors and you see Al and he's like legitimately terrified. I was like, oh, no, hell no. This is this is horrible. We got to end this. Okay, so the Sherry scene, we have one more nice scene before the end of the movie where Sherry sneaks out to San Francisco to see Ed one more time because she knows things aren't going well for him and she loves him. She just wants to see him and she's in disguise and he spots her. Turns out to be this big chase. He runs after her. The cameras run after them because the cameras have to catch all this. And it culminates in a scene in a movie theater bathroom where Sherry's hiding in the stall pretending she's not really Sherry and Ed's like, come on out, come on, I want to talk to you and all the cameras are there. And he's like, I love you. Come on, we can make it work. I know it's difficult. I just want to see you. And we finally see Sherry. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear up, I swear <laughs> to God. Oh. We finally see Sherry. She pops out of the bathroom stall. And she gives the greatest fuck you look to the audience. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to kiss Ed and fuck all of you who judge me. And it's the greatest look. And she goes and plants one right on him. Yeah, it's, it's triumphant. Oh, it's great. It's like haters going to hate. Yeah, and my thing is the Truman Show doesn't have a moment like that. That's kind of my beef with the Truman Show. It's kind of flat for me. Yeah, like the Truman Show's whole thing is just like um, there's no moral judgment at the end that it, whether it's right or wrong for it to do for them to do that to him. He's just like, I'm going to leave now. Bye. Yeah, that's it. It's very like he gets to do a little catchphrase, and it's a nice little moment, but it never quite makes me emotional like this movie does with Sherry. Yeah. It, it it's not it's and it's funny um i looked up what roger ebert had to say about the truman show and he compares it to forrest gump and i think it's kind of that same thing like it's sort of the first time you see it you think it's like this really like deeply emotionally gripping thing and then you kind of over time it doesn't hold up like that yeah i'd agree with that i i do not watch the truman show that often i watch ed tv far more yeah i i have not really gone back to either one of them, but this was the one that stuck with me. But this moment right here, Jenna Elfman, mm -hmm. oh my God, I fall in love with her every time. She gives that fuck you look to the camera. She walks over, she kisses Ed, and then she kind of turns and smiles at the camera. She's got the biggest shit-eating grin you have ever seen because she's so proud of herself, and she just could not give a rip what people think of her anymore. Yeah, and she kind of, like, he stops wanting her to perform, and he stops caring what the public thinks, and she's also, like, she's not going to be affected by it anymore because she has the thing she wants. Yeah, that's the thing. If you accept your flaws, then nobody can point them out to you anymore. That's the old adage. And I, I think that's I, – I love that journey for her. I love her coming around to that. And, like, she, <clears throat> she's also – like, she's gained the confidence in herself because she always thought it was something wrong with her and – still thought that like well into the movie and now she now she knows it doesn't matter anymore oh yeah there's endless scenes leading up to this one of everyone else watching ed tv having fun loving the journey and she's just sitting there alone in her room you know cooking up a microwave dinner for one by herself and crying it's just so pathetic yeah but not like in a like a like you hate her way it's like you really root for her i just want something good to happen to sherry in this movie yeah but then we get the moment like you said where Ed and Sherry are now officially back together, but the cameras don't leave. They're like, well, because you're dating Sherry again, because she signed a release, we can just follow her around, too. That's part of the contract. So Ed's like, hell no. And this is the end of the line. And so he's got to figure out a way out of this. And I think, again, he's he knows he's got this platform. Like, what's the one thing he's got? Like, the camera won't ever go off him. So let's figure out a way to make that work. 
Yeah, and a lot of people have criticized this ending. It's really convenient to wrap up the movie with 10 minutes left. Yeah. There's probably an argument for that. Yeah, it, it does end very quickly. And I also, I don't love that they're like medical shaming. Yeah, I agree. That would not, they would not do that the same way now. No, they wouldn't. It would have to be something that's like fully of Whitaker's volition that is the dirt on him. Okay, so let's sum this up. So basically, Ed knows he's trapped. The network can follow his family around, just terrorize them till the end of time. And he's like, no way. He's like, you know what? Okay, this is your argument that anybody could be a TV star. Anybody's interesting. Well, I'm going to turn that right around on the network. I think these people who run this show are the most interesting people ever, and I know there's some dirt on some of the executives that run True TV. So I'm going to pay $10,000 of my own money. Anybody who can give me the nastiest piece of dirt on anybody at True TV, I will announce it live on the air tonight at 9 o'clock. Let's play this game. They're going to play a game of chicken with me. I'll play chicken with them. Let's, let's go. And so this is really the contest now where he's using his platform to shame his employers. I, I I always love this because I feel like it's not something that happens anymore. Like every every movie ever ends with like somebody getting called out for something terrible that they've said behind closed doors and then the whole public turns on them and it's kind of like that doesn't actually happen in real life. Yeah. It's a nice little underdog story. The the audience cheers when it's ad against the big network, but this is not the way it works in real life. No, it, it is not the way it works in real life, but I kinda wish it did. But we are going to have an unlikely hero here. Yep. I, Cynthia turns on her masters. That's right. It's uh, it's the old uh, Darth Vader throwing the Emperor down the shaft in Return of the Jedi. As Cynthia has realized she's sold her soul in this whole movie in a quest for ratings. And now she's like, you know what? I don't want to work in TV anymore. So she, I love this scene where she quits. Yeah. And <laughs> you say one more word and I'm going to fire you. She's like, oh, like asshole. <laughs> yeah. Shithead. Is that one or two words? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the scene with all the lawyers trying to figure out if what Ed's going to say on TV is slander or not. And then Cynthia quits, gives the double middle finger and walks out. And at the end of the day, she's the one that's going to win the contest. She's going to give Ed the dirt on her boss, Mr. Whitaker, that nobody else knows. Do you think she invoiced for that $10,000? <laughs> probably not. She probably felt bad for Ed. Yeah, I would. I would guess so. She's probably okay. So, uh, yeah, so this deadline goes up to 9 o'clock, and Ray's and Ed, both of them are in, Ray's, in Ed's apartment. Apparently, they've made up. They make friends again, and, and they're taking all these tips from anyone in America who knows anything about true TV executives. And right before 9, when all the executives are sweating it out, and Mr. Whitaker's like, whatever they say, it's no big deal. We'll spin it. Don't worry. You guys are, you have no testicles. Then the call comes in from Cynthia, and we'll be vague about this one if possible. Yeah, um, it is. Um, he has a little bit of a medical difficulty performing a certain act, and so he needs a little bit of help, and he has an appliance to help him. And I I agree with him. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, if they made this movie now, this would not be the punchline. But in 99, the punchline is Mr. Whitaker can't get an erection. He needs a device to do it for him. And right before Ed announces this on the air, because Cynthia, how did Cynthia hear this? She overheard some secretary at a Christmas party or something? And I think they mostly left this in so that you could see you could see Matthew McConaughey do that like, <laughs> yes. which is pretty funny. The uh, some people do air guitar. Matthew McConaughey can do air erection. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yes. 
So anyway, right before they can announce Mr. Whitaker's secret, he finally gets his downfall, his humbling downfall. He's like, no, nobody's going to announce my medical procedure on the air. He turns off True TV right before the announcement, and Ed thrusts his fist in the air just like that. They're off the air. The show is canceled, and everyone can live happily ever after. Yep. And it, it's a very it's a very neat ending. <laughs> and I and I love that everybody's like, oh, they're going to forget who he is in six months. And this seems to bear out and that's also remarkably remarkably ahead of its time yeah i agree that is the punchline at the end of the movie that this whole ad tv was a phenomenon got bigger ratings in the super bowl it goes off the air and all the talking heads are like yeah in six months we'll forget him we'll move on to the next big flavor of the month yep He's Furby. <laughs> He's Furby, yeah. They call him the Macarena. That's the word. Yep, the Macarena. <laughs> and I love the, the last shot with Ellen DeGeneres in the convenience store. Just a, you know, she's, you know, I've, I've been in reality TV. I ran a show. It's unethical. I don't like it. I just don't like the idea that anybody could be a star. And as she's walking out, she's in a mini mart, and she sees these three little kids waving into the security camera because they want to be a star on the security TV. And she just kind of laughs. She's like, well, I guess this is going to keep going. Yeah, everyone wants to be on TV. Yeah, and just like that, it's all over. Ed and Sherry kiss, and they uh, it's its uh, implied they move in together. And this is the one romance that's probably finally going to work for both of them, and they both get a happy ending. And it's, a, again, a really nice movie with a lot more depth than you think it would have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's adorable. And it's – I was just struck by how much of it is about these relationships that Ed has with everybody and, like, how they are torn apart and put back together. Mm -hmm. And what the experience like revealed about how he felt about everybody, I thought was really like surprisingly deep for as little time as they had to do it. Yeah. And I would say probably a lot of that is the director, Ron Howard. He is really good at telling stories. So a lot of the stuff that ended up on the screen might not have been in the script. It's a lot of it might just be his storytelling and the good acting between the, the main two stars. I mean, you also have to give props to the screenwriting team who they've done every movie oh, yeah. that's like this. And uh, I think Babalu Mandel um, and Lowell Gans are most known for Splash and Parenthood and City Slickers. I feel like Parenthood is one of those ones that's kind of – it's the same thing. Like it's billed as a comedy, but then there's like these really deep relationships that get kind of pulled apart over the course of the movie. So it's something that they're really – they're used to doing yeah so there's a lot of talent behind this movie a lot of uh you know experience of making a product perhaps a little better than it probably is in the script and it's one of those movies i really don't think should have flopped and again i think it's personally better than the truman show i know that would probably be an unpopular opinion but it's definitely one i think people need to a either go discover for the first time or b watch again for the first time in 30 years and maybe reevaluate it yeah and i think Somebody might remember having seen it back then, and they might think of it as kind of a punchline. Um, but, yeah, it's one of those – I think it's kind of an undiscovered gem in that regard. Like, pick it back up now and see if it hits the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. A lot of movies I do on Staff Picks I see pop up on other movie podcasts. I don't think I'm going to see a lot of EdTV podcasts out there, so I'm very proud of this episode. I honestly, Mario, I think all of the movies I've done for Staff Picks would fit that bill. I mean, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, maybe, but I don't see a lot of Oh God podcasts either. Yeah, Gen uh, sorry, Jessica and I did uh, Oh God, the very gentle George Burns, John Denver comedy, which I'm so proud of that episode, but it's not an episode I ever hear anybody talk about. Like, I don't know. 
no one ever says, oh, I love that Oh God episode. But like that was a great discussion of a great movie. So I feel just as strongly as that one. That's I, I pick you for some of these interesting movies that I don't think other people would really volunteer for. Yeah, well, that's what I'm here for, Mario. I'm I'm happy to come back anytime. <laughs> all right. So we uh we talked about all our notes going into this. We both said we discovered certain things about this movie on this viewing we maybe didn't notice before. Are there any you didn't get a chance to mention during the podcast? Um, no, I think we've we've gone pretty deep into into that. Uh, I mean, the main thing was just like how they leveraged that platform and how people immediately backlashed on it and what they thought that what they thought that Ed and Sherry owed them as people on their television. I thought it was just, it's so fascinating to watch through a lens of like 20 years of that. Yeah. This movie kind of hits differently depending on how old you are, when you watch it, what era you're in. It's, it's really, again, it points the finger right back at the audience, which is what it always did. And that probably cost it at the time, but I think that makes it more interesting now. Yeah. Oh, one thing I did want to mention is like, uh, I I see a lot of parallels to a face in the crowd, mm-hmm. although that goes in a darker direction. Um, which uh, a face in the crowd for those who haven't seen it is, uh, it stars Andy Griffith, and which is also really weird because at the time, of course, Andy Griffith was Andy Griffith, and this is a 1957 movie, um, uh, directed by Ilya Kazan, and it is about a guy that they kind of pull out of nowhere. Who's this like folksy, this folksy dude. And they fast track him into being famous. And then he sort of like the price of fame. It all kind of goes into him and turns him dark. And then he's got a platform that he can use for evil. And at the end of it, um, they get him off of the, they get him off of his show because he says something over the air on a live mic, and then they say, well, he's never going to be this famous again. And it's it's the same trajectory. It just goes in kind of a darker direction. And it's such a great movie and so also so ahead of its time. And then, of course, the other one um, with like a reluctant, reluctant celebrity who kind of has no F's left to give. I would go with Network, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm sure you've seen that one, Mario. Oh, yeah. I just actually saw that recently for the first time. Oh, so great. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. That's a guy. I, I was not that movie was not what I was expecting it to be. I thought it was a little different, but it yeah, it's very similar where people are famous just for being famous and notorious. Yeah. And then it kind of it it snowballs in a weird way and just ruins everybody's lives. I was thinking of this is a little more obscure, but the movie from the 90s, uh, Hero with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, I love that movie. There's one for staff picks. There we go. I I haven't seen that since the 90s. I just remember watching it for the first time back in college. I'm like, that was a really cool movie that I bet nobody talks about. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that until you mentioned it just now. That was yeah, that was very fun. Okay, yeah, it's like someone gets credit for saving someone else's life, but it's all a lie. So it's I don't know, but I'll watch that. Maybe we'll do that on staff picks for your fourth appearance. Yes. Well, we'll, I'll, you know, five years from now, for sure. I'll fast track you back in five years. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Before we sign off, uh, you tell people how they can reach you, where they can find you these days. Um, You can find me on Twitter at HeyBakerHattie, and I'm talking about all things television right now. Um, Of course, we are in the thick of a Survivor season, and we've got walking dead fear the walking dead and walking dead world beyond happening very soon i think there's going to be some star trek before the end of the year there and all of that stuff i'm going to be podcasting about on uh rob's website and post show recaps so you can find me in those places as well if you want to hear me talk about more things on podcasts 
All right, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at, at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until then, I'll talk to you guys later. Be nice to your UPS girl. Bye. He doesn't want to be like everybody else. No. He doesn't start it in a van or a pickup truck or something like that. No, the Ray man, he starts it in a... Camry, 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 Camry! (laughs)